Psalm 29 Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Arise, arise, chapter 2 and noticed that that was really the birth of the church. It was it was Pentecost last, last week. And we also noticed like toward the end in Acts chapter 2 verses 40 and 41, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is talking about even after the, the sermon per se was was over. Peter still was talking with them, still warning them, but we also noticed that it required them to do something about it. And I want us to think about our own part in this. Yes, God is the one who saves us. God is the one who calls us and draws us in, but there's also an expectation from our end as well. Like if you back up just a, a few verses, in Acts 2 verses 37 through 39, we read at this kind of main point in Peter's message, they start to realize what they had done to Jesus, that they crucified him. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See this passage, is talking about what was their part. Yes, they could receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, they could receive forgiveness of sins. And we saw uh, amazingly how the Holy Spirit came and the forgiveness of sins and everything that happened right there, but it did require them to do something. We see that 
that this call is for anybody that, that God calls and he draws them. And this promise, all of these promises, all these things connected can be for any of us that God calls. And I want us to think about God calling us. And I want us to actually look at one of these calls of God today. So today we're going to look at a few things. Uh, for starters, we are going to notice and pay attention to how mighty our God is. I mean, that's how this video even started off with this reading of Psalm 29. And by the way, you might want to, you know, kind of read that again. Psalm 29 is what that passage was. And that Psalm talks about how great our God is, how powerful he is, how mighty he is, even how, how mighty his voice is. And we're also going to notice Isaiah's call to be a prophet. You know, so many times in the scriptures, we see how a prophet is called by God to, to step up and to do something. And Isaiah responds with this wonderful uh, kind of response to it. He says, here am I, send me. I want us to think about that. I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 6 and notice how Isaiah was called and how he willingly went. He, just, he did what God wanted him to do. Well, we have been called. After all, that's what it said even in Acts 2.39. It, it talked about how the promise was for all whom the Lord our God has called. Well, we have received a calling. What are we going to do about that? Can we respond like Isaiah? Here am I, send me. Let's look at that together. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. We're going to start off just noticing once again how great our God is. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. When you look at this scene, everything about this is crying out about how great our God is. Yes, he's high and exalted. You know, when we kind of think about the, the hierarchy system that they had, you know, you had the, the, the regular people and then you had the king who was even above them. But then you had God who was always above the king. That's how the hierarchy was supposed to be in the nation of Israel. You know, we even kind of have a, a term today that we use about, you know, climbing up the ladder and everything. Well, God is at the top of that ladder. He's always been at the top of that ladder and he's always going to be sitting on his throne at the top of that ladder. We also see about the, the train of his robe is, is filling the temple. Which, by the way, if you kind of start looking about this and, and uh, thinking about this train or this hymn of the garment of God filling the temple and just filling everything. You know, that kind of an idea. It's not just a, a random little bit of information about God. You know, it's not just kind of a random uh, garment either. It's talking about his status. It's talking about how great he is. We also see these seraphim are surrounding him. They're, they're, they're all around him, but what are they crying out? You know, these are kind of these, uh, we would call them beings that are, uh, you know, angels is what we typically would call them. But here they're called seraphim. And we see that they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the only attribute of God that is repeated three times like this. You know, holy, holy, holy. We don't, we don't have any other thing connected with God like that. God is holy. He is mighty. He is wonderful. We know that. We need to recognize it. We need to pay attention to it. Isaiah most certainly realized it. And whenever he realized what he was seeing, this is his response. Verses 4 through 8. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Which, by the way, we're not going to get into it in this video, but if you keep reading, you find out that the task that Isaiah was going to be sent to, to do it was not really the most pleasant. I mean, yes, okay, he's stating what God is wanting him to state, and he's going to do that. But the people aren't going to listen. I mean, that's what God goes on and, and he tells them. You know, I want you to proclaim this message, but they're not going to listen. God already knows what's going to happen, but he still loves these people so much that he's making an effort. We see that, that Isaiah, he notices that he doesn't feel adequate for this task. He notices he's like, look, I'm, I'm a sinful person. I live among sinful people. You are holy, holy, holy. How can I be in your presence? How does that work? And God loves him so much. He cares about him and he provides a way. He says, you know, it's, it's a weird concept right here about this live coal that's taken and it touches his lips. Your sins are atoned for. That, that's what's stated right here. We see that this item makes him holy. It allows him to step up. And to state boldly in verse 8, here am I, send me. And Isaiah is sent. And he goes out and he boldly proclaims this message. And he, as well as so many other prophets who have come before and after him, they boldly proclaim what God wants them to proclaim. And sometimes they're persecuted. Sometimes they must endure suffering. But they still have this choice. As to whether or not they're going to answer that call, whether or not they are going to follow their God. We have that same choice today. We've been given that same choice. I want us now to, to, to leave the pages of the Old Testament for a, a little bit. And for us to go into the pages of the New Testament. Into a, a book by also a, an, another well-known character in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans chapter 8. And in Romans 8, there's a few things about the Spirit and about us accepting this call that I want us to notice in this video. In Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 27, Paul is, is talking about their current situation. And he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This passage tells us so much about our current situation. It speaks about how we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And by the way, when you look at the, the biblical concept of what the first fruits are about, you know, the first fruits, it's not simply just kind of a promise that, oh, well, you know, I hope that, that we're going to be able to get a crop. No, the first fruits, it is actually the first of the fruits that come. And because you have the first fruits that come from a crop, you know that there is more that's going to be coming. 
Well, we are called, you know, we as, as Christians, specifically Paul, the Christians during his day, he says, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that look like? Go back to last week. Remember, on the day of Pentecost, they received the first fruits of the Spirit. It's very fitting that, you know, the first fruits would be connected with that day of, of Pentecost. That's what th that day was supposed to be about. And here you see it, not just physically speaking, but you see it spiritually speaking, that the first fruits of the Spirit were poured out on the birth day of the church. We see that Paul is still talking about that years later, talking about those first fruits of the Spirit. And the way that he talks about it right here is he's saying, look, we've already received these great things in the Spirit. We're already supposed to be, be following the Spirit. Then he starts talking about our adoption to sonship. The theme of adoption is so powerful and so wonderful. You know, many times we don't always even kind of think about how powerful that is, but the one of the great powerful things about being adopted is the fact that, you know, you don't always get to pick your own family, really. Um, you know, you're just kind of born into a family and your parents are your parents and your siblings are your siblings, and that's that. But whenever you bring somebody in and you adopt them, you are choosing for that person to be a part of your family. This is the language that's used about our family relationship with God, that we have been chosen and we've been desired to be a part of this family. We can have this adoption to sonship. And he, he compares that with the redemption of our body. So there's, there's something that he's speaking about that's going to happen into the future. Now, I would say that this passage is talking about the time whenever God is going to make all things new. Whenever we receive new bodies, whenever there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, everything is going to be made new. Paul is talking about that moment in the future, but he's saying, look, we already received the first fruits of the Spirit now. We're already experiencing those great things. Yes, we have hope. We know that there is more that's coming. But we've already received these first fruits. We've already received these great things. Part of these great things that we see is in verses 26 and 27 is that the Spirit is helping us in our weakness. Have you ever been at that point whenever you don't always know how to pray? The Bible tells us that the Spirit helps us whenever we don't know how to pray. He helps us by interceding for us. He searches things out and he communicates so that the will of God will be able to be done. And if you go back even just kind of a few verses from this passage, we see even more about these great blessings that we have that have been offered to us as the first fruits of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, verses 12 through 17 now, Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This passage is talking about this, this beautiful connection that we see. We see that the Spirit is the one who, who moves us. The Holy Spirit is the one who moves us. We have been called to be people who, who put to death the things of the flesh. And by the way, these are not talking about kind of like fleshly sins like lust, lustful thoughts or anything like that. I mean, that's included, okay? Don't get me wrong. 
But he's saying that if we live according to the flesh, if we live according to the way that we want to try to do things and try to work things out here in this world, it's only going to end in destruction. It's only going to end in death. The flesh, that's all it's capable of producing. We are people who, who have to, to raise the bar, raise the standard, look upward and realize we need to live by the Spirit. Whenever we live by the Spirit and are being led by the Spirit, then we are these children of God. This adoption to sonship. All of these things are beautiful things. And like I've you know, already stated that, that God chooses that. Our Heavenly Father has chose us. The Holy Spirit is, has been a part of this. And also it says the Spirit himself testifies. You see, adoption uh, was, was very powerful because this Roman adoption that, that they were familiar with during this time... Uh, you would have had to have had people who testify, yes, okay, this is this is true, this is really the wishes and uh, of uh, these people who are, are wanting to adopt uh, this person. And here we see the Spirit testifies. The Spirit is saying, yes, this is so. Our Heavenly Father desires us to be adopted into the family of God. The Spirit testifies, yes, this is true. And we can become co-heirs with Christ. We can become and follow this call of God and follow Christ by stepping up and, and following after the way of Christ. Just like on the day of Pentecost, answering that call, just like Isaiah did. Whenever he was asked, who can I send? He said, here am I, send me. There are so many blessings that, that are offered in Christ Jesus. We cannot even number them. Can we join in with Isaiah though? Can we recognize these great blessings and all that God has done for us and how great our God is and can we join with Isaiah and say to God, here am I, send me. We are people who are called to be led by the Spirit. We are called to be the children of God. Let's answer that call. Let's say, here am I, send me, Lord, whatever you will, that is what I will do. Here's me, Lord.